This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy to have this opportunity to share with you again through this new vehicle for us at Shiloh, this podcast experience. We call this podcast Thrive. Thrive is an acronym uh, for transformative thinking, uh, helps ministry, renewed relationships, invitation to evangelism, visionary worship, and excellence in administration, uh, T-H-R-I-V-E. We believe uh, that that is our goal in 2018 here at Shiloh. Uh, We're not here simply to overcome. We're not here simply to survive. We want to thrive as a church. We want to thrive in our ministry for Jesus Christ. We want to thrive in the discipleship and the stewardship of the gospel uh, as we go forth. And we want uh, to play a part in helping others strive as well. Uh, So that's why we call this Thrive. This is the fourth edition of this podcast. Uh, We're still trying to work out all of the kinks. Uh, Speaking with uh, Brother Turner, uh, I've been told that we're still having difficulties in getting uh, the podcast downloaded to Google and to iTunes. And so the only way that you can view this at this time is uh, through our YouTube uh, channel. And we're grateful to those who have found us through YouTube. We hope to have the other uh, issues resolved uh, very soon. And we can uh, then be a full-fledged podcast uh, that you can get on your iPhones and other devices. Uh, As has been the case when we have uh, done these podcasts, uh, we're motivated by the fact that the church needs to have a greater voice in the overall affairs of the community. Uh, than just those traditional voices uh, that we have through the Sunday morning worship experience and through the midweek Bible study experience. And uh, it was pressed upon my heart late in 2017 that we were not taking full advantage of the opportunities that we have uh, in sharing our concerns about uh, employing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in a more relevant and a uh, a more acceptable way, a, a platform through a platform that would allow us to uh, really make an impact in our community. I'm hoping that people are watching this from various parts of the country and even around the world. It's certainly available to you. But the focus of most of what we're talking about has to do with things that take place in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where Shiloh is located and has been for the past 145 years. Uh, The social justice issues uh, that affect us in this community, to me, are stark and uh, demand our attention. As this podcast is being recorded today, it is uh, the day that President Trump is slated to give his State of the Union address uh, in Washington, D.C. this evening. Uh, And a lot of people on the national uh, cable news sites are interested 
in what the president has to say and how that's going to impact us in national and international affairs. And those things are important on their own level. But to be totally honest with you, I'm less concerned with what is going on in Washington, D.C. with President Trump than I am concerned about the things that are going on in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, because uh, I think that those things affect us in a more direct way. Uh, and while there might be tentacles that reach all the way to Washington and to national politics, much of this has to do with what's going on in our own communities. So while national media is focusing in on the president, I'm focusing in on the fact that it is now uh, 574 days since Alton Sterling uh, was shot and killed by Baton Rouge police officers uh, here in our city. And there has been no resolution to that case, no decision. The federal authorities looked at the case and decided that they would not bring criminal charges. Uh, the Attorney General for the state of Louisiana has had the case now for nearly a year, and uh, there has been no decision made by the Attorney General's office as of yet as to what is going to happen. It is the case of a black man who was shot and killed by two white police officers uh, who, while he had a weapon, the weapon was not drawn. Uh, and uh, the two officers were on top of him when they shot and killed him. And there is videotape to support that account of what happened. And so it is mystifying uh, to me as to how this could take place and 574 days could have passed and still there has been not one criminal charge brought against these officers for their actions. My concerns uh, can, uh, revolve around a 17-year-old mildly mentally handicapped young man who, as reported in the Baton Rouge Advocate today, was raped and infected with the HIV virus while in the custody of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. 17 years old, being held for burglary charges, placed in a two-man cell with someone who was in prison for sexual misconduct and sexual crimes, and he was raped by this individual. Uh, he did not receive immediate medical treatment after the rape had taken place. We're still not sure how many times the rape took place, whether it was one incident or more than one, but this 17-year-old young man now carries the HIV virus as a result while in the custody of East Baton Rouge Parish law enforcement. My concerns revolve around the fact that it's been 17 months since the historic floods that hit our city and our region in 2016, August of 2016, and only $122 million of an estimated $1.3 billion in federal aid, 9.3% has been distributed to individuals and families that are trying to get back to a place of wholeness. How do you go 17 months, have $1.3 billion available to be disseminated to those who are in need and have only spent $122 million? People are still living in trailers, in motels, with their family members, and there's no telling when the recovery will come to a place of 
completion. My concerns are about the fact that the state of Louisiana, a state in which I was born and raised and live and plan to die, a state that I love with all my heart, ranks 49th out of the 50 states in the Union when it comes to families living at or below the poverty level. And the overwhelming majority of those families are African American. And that includes making it closer to home 20% of those residents of East Baton Rouge Parish. One in five residents of East Baton Rouge Parish lives either at or below the poverty level. And no one seems to think that there's a problem with that. My concerns about the fact that Louisiana, going back to incarceration and, and law enforcement, Louisiana ranks highest in the nation when it comes to the incarceration of its citizens, with the overwhelming majority of those who are imprisoned being African American. And that has an impact on more than just a person's ability to have freedom, Freedom is clearly taken away for a period of time. It has an impact on their ability to get a job. It has their, an impact on their ability to live in a sustained and thriving family unit. But as has been recently reported with attempts made to change legislation, uh, it has an impact on our ability to vote because felons, uh, even those who are on parole or on probation, cannot vote uh, in the state of Louisiana, and I understand in many other states across this country. So you are muting these people when it comes to their ability to make their voices heard at the ballot box. That's a concern of mine. I'm concerned about the fact that Baton Rouge ranks third in the nation. And actually, that's an improvement because for the last several years, Baton Rouge has ranked first in the nation. But most recent reports show that we rank third in the nation with regard to HIV cases. And 86% of those who suffer with HIV in our city are African American. This is just a sampling. I just gave you a sampling of the things. While everybody's talking about President Trump and his craziness and the things that he does in Washington, D.C., and, and I know that those things do trickle down at some point to uh, state and local politics, but there are pregnant issues, there are relevant issues, there are explosive issues that are going on right now within our community. These are social justice issues within our community uh, that I think the church should be concerned about, not just the church individual, but the church corporate local congregations and beyond local congregations, uh, denominational groups, district associations, and state conventions should have concerns about these social justice issues and others. Now, this is about the third or fourth time that uh, we've raised some of these issues, and I imagine those who are watching might be asking the question, well, okay, Reverend, you, you, you've mentioned these issues before, some of them, and uh, you say that these are the things that uh, the, the church should be concerned about. What exactly do you expect the church to do about it? Well, I'm glad you asked the question, because I think it's, it's a fair question. Uh, there are at least four things that I would like to suggest that we as the church should do, and that includes this church, that includes me as a pastor. I am 
not saying that we're the only ones doing anything. I think we're doing the best that we can, but I do think that more can and should be done. There are at least four things that we can do. And, and, and the first thing is that we must speak with boldness and with consistency on these issues. We must not allow these issues to become obfuscated, to become hidden, to become relegated to second and third tier uh, uh, issues in our community where we can spend all of our time talking about sports and talking about athletics, but we're not talking about those issues that are relevant to people's lives. I love football as much as anybody else, but the Super Bowl outcome doesn't affect my life as much as these issues do. Uh, by the time this drops, uh, we will have uh, a, a decider. We, we will know who has won the Super Bowl, whether it's the Eagles or the Patriots. Whichever one won the game, congratulations. I'm happy for you, especially happy if the Eagles won because my son will finally have a championship. He's an Eagles fan. But whoever wins the Super Bowl, and we're going to make a whole lot out about the Super Bowl this week. Whoever wins the Super Bowl is not going to change any of these issues. It's not going to change anything about Sterling. It's not going to change anything about this 17-year-old young man. It's not going to change anything about the, the poor distribution of funds to these flood victims. It's not going to touch any of these issues or the many others that could be raised. But we can speak with boldness and with consistency to these issues. We can speak to them in our worship experiences. We can speak to them in our weekly Bible studies. We can speak to them in our ministry gatherings. We can make these issues, uh, those things that we regularly talk about whenever we gather. And the church needs to do that. We need to make sure that these issues are lifted that the information that we share with others is accurate, but that we share it consistently. Why do you have to keep talking about the same thing all the time? Because the truth of the matter is people don't always hear what you say the first time or the fifth time or even the tenth time. Sometimes people have to hear things dozens of times before they actually hear it the first time. And so it's very important that we lift these issues up and that we regularly lift them up. And, and, and that we talk about them when we gather for worship and for Bible study, that we list something. We, we at Shiloh put a social justice article in our worship folder every Sunday because we feel like it's important to keep on the minds of our members that Jesus was not just concerned about the salvation of the soul, but was concerned about the holistic life of the individual. Uh, so that's the first thing we can do. Second thing we can do is keep our members informed and motivated, not just about what the problems are, but methods that can work to bring about change. What methods would, would you suggest? First and foremost, vote. We need to keep before our members the importance of voting especially African-Americans need to vote in every election, for every office, for every tax or millage, for every initiative. There should never be an election that takes place where African-American people don't show up in huge numbers 
to exercise their right to vote. Uh, voting for us is not uh, a, a privilege as much as it is a responsibility owed to those who suffered, bled, and died that we might have the right to do so. Uh, and, and, and when we choose not to vote, when it becomes an inconvenience for us to vote, when it becomes a matter of choice for us to vote, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get to the polls this time. It's not really that big an election. It really doesn't affect me directly. When, when we take that attitude, we are spitting in the face of those who suffered so much that we might have the opportunity to vote. So the first thing we need to do is vote. And of course, what goes along with voting is staying informed uh, so that when we vote, we're, we're actually giving an intelligent uh, response to the issues that are brought before us. Uh, so, so we have to vote. Then we need to attend meetings. We need to go to the meetings that take place of governmental authorities charged with addressing these issues. What I have found as, as pastor of a church is that people come to church meetings uh, when they're mad about something. Generally speaking, the people are, 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 are satisfied with how things are going in the church, uh, by and large, they, they don't feel the need to come to a church meeting. And I think that that same attitude exists within the larger community when it comes to uh, attending Metro Council meetings, attending uh, school board meetings, attending uh, BREC meetings, Baton Rouge Recreation and Education Center meetings. Uh, things of that sort. <clears throat> when it comes, we are in the capital city. When it comes to going down to the state legislature, and yes, you have to park a long way from the capital, and yes, you have to walk, and sometimes it's hot, and sometimes it's inconvenient. But here's the thing. When we fail to show up to these meetings and just sit in the room, even if we don't get an opportunity to speak, our presence makes a difference. Our presence speaks to those who are our representatives in these various offices, on these various levels, and it lets them know that the community is concerned about the issues that are to be discussed on the agenda. If we really want to make a statement about law enforcement, we need to show up at Metro Council meetings. If we really want to make a statement about uh, health care in our community, then we need to show up at the state legislature in those committees that deal with health care issues and how health care is financed and how health care is disseminated within our state. You have to be willing to show up. Uh, the decisions are made by those who show up. So you have to make yourself available and attend these meetings, and you have to do so with regularity. Then a, a third suggestion about keeping ourselves informed is that we have to be willing to stretch ourselves, and we have to be willing to work cooperatively with other individuals and groups that share our concerns. And they may not always be Christian organizations. Some of them may not even be religious organizations. Some of them may be civic organizations. Some of them may have uh, at, at their root, their platform might be very different from ours. But if we share common interest in seeing improvement in our community around 
certain issues, certain social justice issues, uh, getting uh, law enforcement uh, reform as a priority within our community, getting education for all people, quality education for all people, regardless of race or economic background, uh, something that that is spread throughout our entire community, then we need to band together with other groups uh, that are about those same interests, and we need to let our voices be heard collectively. Uh, so that's something else that we can do, and all of that falls under uh, keeping our members informed and motivated about methods that are at our disposal. Now, the third thing that we can do, and, and, and this is, is an issue close to my own heart, is that we can press our denominational leadership to make these matters a priority within our gatherings, our conferences, and our conventions. One of the most troubling and disheartening things to me as an African-American black Baptist pastor of a traditional black Baptist church is that in too many cases, when we go to our larger meetings, to our conferences, to our associational meetings, to our state convention meetings, none of these social justice issues are raised. They're not, they're not raised theoretically, and they're certainly not raised uh, with any regard to the relevance of the moment uh, at hand. I can understand that you might not want to talk about these issues all the time in these meetings, but it's disheartening that they are rarely, if ever, brought up. And no time is made on the agenda of these meetings uh, to discuss how we as a denomination will respond. No statements come forth from our denomination uh, that voice our concerns, our outrage, our disappointment, our desire to see some improvement take place. In too many cases, on a denominational level, we are silent where we need to speak. It is not enough for individual churches, individual pastors, individual uh, uh, Christians within churches uh, to make their voices heard. The denominations need to make their voices heard. I'm Baptist, so I'm not speaking about any other denomination other than my own. It, it, it is it is very disheartening, very troubling to me that in too many cases uh, we spend more time talking about perfunctory items, uh, talking about items of structure within our body, talking about uh, those things rather than talking about these issues that affect the larger community, where our people live and what they go through every day. This is not just a matter of me stepping up on on a soapbox and, and, and uh, proclaiming uh, something that is not relevant to where we live. Our churches are made up of people who have to deal with these issues on a daily basis, people who work with others, who think very differently from them. Uh, let, let me just give you one example of what I'm talking about. Let's go back to, to this issue regarding uh, the 17-year-old uh, who was infected with HIV, <clears throat> uh, as it's been reported in the Advocate newspaper, uh, while in the custody of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. Uh, this morning, uh, in responding to a statement uh, that uh, a, a local person put on his Facebook account asking where was our outrage with regard to this incident as it was reported in the newspaper. Uh, uh, 
I responded by saying I share in your outrage and I do think that something needs to be done when local law enforcement cannot uh, guarantee the safety of those that are in their custody. Even if they're in their custody because they're accused of committing a crime, they should enjoy the safety and the security of the protection of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office because they're in the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. And a response came to my statement on the Facebook page saying, why would you bring law enforcement into this issue? Uh, this has nothing to do with law enforcement, when in fact it has everything to do with law enforcement. Because law enforcement is responsible for safely guarding uh, those people that are placed under their care. Understand, this person has not been convicted of a crime. He's been arrested for a crime, but has not been convicted for a crime. And in any child's civics class, we are taught that in America, you are innocent until proven guilty. So even if the person is under police custody, he's under police custody with the assumption that he's innocent until he has been proven guilty in a court of law. He is under the safeguard of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. So I mentioned law enforcement in my response because law enforcement is responsible for the care of the individual. And when this person is informed through the same social media, through the same Facebook page, that, that law enforcement is responsible, their response was, well, there have been police officers who have been killed by prisoners, and I don't see the same outrage for that. To which I said, you're trying to equivocate one tragedy with another. And this is what happens in too many cases. In order to, to reduce or mitigate uh, the, the outrage that some feel, that this person should have felt, at what happened to this 17-year-old young man while in police custody, uh, th this person chose to point to another incident, nebulous, had no details, no specifics at all, just said that I have heard that this has happened. And, and, and they use that to say, well, just like this happened, then that happened. Do we, are we limited in our outrage that we can't say that this was just as bad as that? Do we have to choose which incident we're going to be outraged about? Or don't we have the capacity as Christians to be outraged by all of it? If indeed a police officer or a sheriff's deputy was killed by a prisoner while at the prison. There is justification to be outraged for that as much as there is for this 17-year-old who has contracted HIV because he was raped while in the custody of the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Office. I don't think that we have to choose one over the other to be outraged about. What is the, the, the phrase that, that, that is used all the time? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Well, it's an injustice. What happened to this young man is an injustice. The fact that he was denied medical care for a period of time after the rape took place is an injustice. And we can be outraged about that. And it doesn't matter the racial composition of the individual. To my knowledge, I don't know what the racial composition is 
of the young man who, who, who contracted uh, the AIDS after the rape. All that the newspaper said was that he was 17 years old. I don't believe that the article mentions his race at all. And yet the assumption of the person who responded to my response on the Facebook page is that my response is racially motivated. She actually said that if the person uh, who was the victim was uh, not what, what, what was white, then there wouldn't be this outrage on Facebook. How do you come to that conclusion? What's the basis of your thinking in that regard. I'm responding as a Christian. I'm responding as a father. I have two sons, 22, uh, 23 now, and 20. Uh, I'm responding as a taxpayer, and I'm responding as a Christian. And in all those capacities, I am absolutely outraged that this would take place. And I'm further concerned that the response of this individual is, is an example of the response of many others who think that, well, any, any mention of law enforcement in a negative or critical way is bad, is unjust, is, unf is unfair, is wrong. And the assumption is that it's racially motivated. How about the fact that what happened to this young man is terrible and Christians and non-Christians, uh, to, to, to paraphrase Dr. King, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics should all be outraged that this took place within our criminal justice system. Not a federal system, not a state system, our East Baton Rouge Parish system. We have to recognize that these things are a priority and we have to be willing to talk about them within our own circles. We have to be willing to use our time in a more constructive manner rather than talking about who's going to preach the next sermon at the next service or whose church is going to host this or that. Let's talk about how we can organize ourselves better to respond to these social justice needs that exist within our community. Then I think that we need to give consideration to engaging in long-term dialogue designed to foster an environment of trust and honesty that will lead to incremental change. I don't fool myself. I don't delude myself in any way, shape, or form. I don't think that that change is going to be radical. I don't think that change is going to be immediate. I think that change uh, is going to be slow and painful and that there's going to be a lot of pushback uh, to any change that we want to see as a community. But I do believe that developing dialogue across the board with people who think differently, who look differently, who worship differently or don't worship at all, with people of different uh, academic backgrounds, with people of different vocational backgrounds, with people of different age groups, I do think that developing sustained dialogue uh, across the board uh, can result 
and incremental change for the better. Many, many years ago, over, over 20 years ago, uh, I worked with uh, Reverend Jeff Day, who at that time was uh, the executive director of the Baton Rouge Federation of Churches and Synagogues. And for a five-year period of time, uh, we engaged in a, uh, a project, a, a test uh, called Sustained Dialogue, uh, where people of different racial backgrounds came together on a regular basis and discussed race. Uh, d discussed race and the racial issues uh, that affected us as a community. And we were able to maintain that group for a period of five years. Not all of the discussions were productive. Uh, not all of the discussions were polite. But at the end of that five-year period of time, when, when we finally decided to shut it down, uh, I do believe that we were able to walk away saying that each one of us had a better understanding, not just of the other, but had a better understanding of ourselves and had a better understanding of how difficult the process of change really is. It is that difficulty that frustrates a lot of people. It is that difficulty that makes a lot of people throw up their hands in disgust. I mentioned voting earlier and, and uh, with regard to the most recent presidential election and how it turned out, I saw that after President Trump uh, uh, won the election, uh, several people got on Facebook and, and said, what good did my vote do? Uh, I don't see the point in voting. Some people actually said that it was rigged in such a way as to make sure that Mr. Trump won and not Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and I understand that there might be people who are frustrated by the fact that change comes too slowly. But my response to that is this. I've lived long enough now to know that things that uh, grow really fast usually die as quickly as they uh, grow. Uh, th things that, that blow up usually implode that the best kind of change uh, and, and the most sustaining kind of change is gradual, incremental change. And in that we're talking about our children, our grandchildren, our progeny, uh, we should want the kind of change that is lasting. We should want the kind of change that will enhance the quality of living for those people as opposed to uh, what we have experienced. So <clears throat> these are my concerns, uh, uh, that the church seek to voice itself, make itself known, let its voice be heard in the discussions of these affairs as they take place within our community. Uh, you can talk national politics if you want. You can even talk state politics if you want. All politics eventually boils down to local things. Uh, they can be as small as fixing the pothole in front of your house to as large as a man who is killed by police officers simply because he's trying to sell tapes in front of a convenience store. All of them have their rootage in how we think as a community, what we value as a community, and how we respond 
to those things that we say we value. And the church has a responsibility to speak to those issues, to speak with clarity, to speak with consistency, and to be sure that what we speak is thus says the Lord. This is not about our own personal agenda. We That there's enough that is wrong with our communities where people are trying to promote their own agendas. Our responsibility, our task as the church is to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And to that end, I pledge that I personally and the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church will continue to seek to find ways to enhance the lives of those people, not just members of our church, but people who live in our community by speaking out on the social justice issues that affect us in our time. Transformative thinking helps ministry, renewed relationships, invitation to evangelism, visionary worship, excellence in administration. Thank you for being a part of the Thrive Podcast today.